Good evening, everyone, or good afternoon, or good morning, wherever you are listening to Countercurrents Radio Live in the World. My name is Pox Populi, and once again, I am sitting in as the guest host for you tonight. Uh, well, it's tonight where I am, at least. And um, we have a very special guest. His name is Guido Taietti. I'm very excited to speak with him. I'm really looking forward to it. I was just telling him before we went live that I, I, I'm excited to speak to a fellow Italian. I don't get the chance to speak to Italians very often, being that I don't live in Italy. And I'm particularly excited to speak to one with such unique insights and, uh, and perspectives as Guido. So let's bring on our guest. Hello, Guido. Hello. How are you? Hello to everyone. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, thanks to Countercurrents Radio. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for uh, being able to come on and uh, have a chat with me. Now, you have been around for quite some time. You are involved and have been involved in, in activism in Italy for quite some time. And then I've also seen that you just recently were one of the uh, guest speakers at the Spring Forum, the Scanza Forum with Frodi. And you also, in 2021, wrote a book called Political Witchcraft. So before we get into the, the themes of your book and, and the work you've done in, in activism, just introduce yourself to uh, the audience. For those, of you, for those in the audience who might not be familiar with you, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you've got to this point. Okay, okay. I'll be very, very, very short. Of course, my biography is not uh, particularly interesting, except for the fact that I have a degree, a master's degree in political science, and I've got a specialization in political communication. But I have also a militant, which I mean an, an active member of the world of the Italian radical right for more or less 15, 20 years at this moment. In particular, um, I have been a militant of uh, Casa Pound Italian since uh, 2012, maybe 11. So I am uh, around uh, for a bit at this moment. In the meanwhile, I have uh, wrote um, uh, two books, and the second is uh, a little bit uh, more famous, that is uh, uh, Witchcraft Communication. But uh, in the recent year, I have, uh, of course, tried to apply everything I ever learned in uh, my political communication study and uh, my political life uh, of uh, every day. So I have uh, collaborated with a lot of uh, uh, radical right or moderate uh, right uh, politici politicians and candidates, uh, especially in Italy, but uh, uh, actually a little bit in Spain on, uh, and in Ukraine. But usually I'm very happy to help uh, everyone is a nationalist uh, around in the world. So if you need uh, some kind of new idea, do not hesitate to contact me. Yeah, the, the pan-European solidarity that we often speak about. It's very good to see that uh, you are living it, you are, you are acting it. Can you tell us a little bit about Casa Pound? I know that you know, as some of the people who follow me, the, the work that I've done over the years, I'm often asked to share um, perspectives on on Italy, um, on organizations like uh, Casa Pound, or in the past even Forza Nuova. But as I have not been in Italy for uh, a few years, I, I don't have the uh, on-the-ground perspective as you do. So I would like to take advantage of the fact that we have 
a genuine Italian nationalist with us tonight. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the story of Casa Pound and um, where it stands today? Yes, yes. Uh, Casa Pound is a political movement born in 2003. At the beginning, very similar as um, action at the squatting part, uh, squatting movement of the leftist. But of course, uh, from the beginning, as uh, a fascist point of view, the beginning idea of the um, uh, first uh, member crew was uh, to, that is important, that uh, the Italian understand that um, you have to own your house and uh, the state have to help the Italian to own an house, not to be in a rent, not to be uh, in a house paid by the state. Uh, you have literally to uh, um, have the possibility to buy an house because uh, it's a short, uh, long story, or long short story, is a fascist typical idea that um, if you have uh, an house, you can eradicate in a land, so you are a more complete uh, patriotic. At this moment, uh, Caspond is probably one of the oldest uh, Italian political movement and uh, is uh, the only that is uh, inspired by the fascism directly. And of course, uh, trying to update and uh, adapt the fascist values uh, in the democracy today. Uh, now, it's no longer uh, a political party. So I mean that we don't uh, participate in election with the symbol of uh, Casa Pound. But uh, Casa Pound, it still has uh, many elected officials, especially of different party, but they are um, member of Casa Pound too. Of course, maybe something of a particular of, of uh, Casa Pound is that uh, uh, Casa Pound not define uh, itself as a radical right or nationalist uh, movement, but uh, usually we use a word fascist. But of course, uh, in Italy is uh, different because we have a, a particular story about this word in our uh, country. At uh, the moment, is above all a cultural movement that uh, organizes conference, organizes voluntary work, carries some political battles, uh, such as uh, the right uh, to own a home. And uh, at the moment, Caspond uh, has about uh, 100 offices in, uh, in the Italy, more or less one each city. And uh, we use uh, this office to do something that um, probably is a little bit different than the nationalist uh, situation in um, over country because usually Casapond use this office to do politics more or less every day. Uh, in this office, you have a gym, you have a bar, you have a bookshop, you have a place where to uh, create a socialization. And uh, so uh, there is a typical fascist idea of, uh, uh, of the idea that you can't really separate the idea and uh, your political point of view have, uh, to be more or less the same thing. Yeah, I think there's so much that our Anglophone listeners will be able to learn tonight and, and many ideas that they can be inspired by tonight. Um, in particular, the idea of the the headquarters of an activist group, not just being all about politics or um, pamphleteering, things like that, but actually becoming a central hub for many other things, um, many even social things, like you said, uh, it's a it's a, a bookshop, it's a gym, um, 
It's a, it's a place where people can, in a way, seek refuge from the ills and the, the, the problems of, of today's world. Um, and I, I find it very interesting as well that the, the importance of owning a home and um, how that's central to traditional fascist modes of thinking, in a way, it's similar to uh, an, a sort of Anglo-Saxon way of thinking in that um, every man's home is his castle. I think, and I'm sure you, you are aware of this as well, that particularly outside of Italy, people's understanding of fascism is very inadequate. Let's, let's put it that way. Could you take a moment to, to describe how fascism is understood in, in Italy, in the birthplace of fascism and in the Italian context? Yes. Usually the problem is uh, that the word fascist today is uh, used especially by the enemy of the fascist. So, of course, they usually they are not too much honest about the meaning uh, and the story of the word. Uh, today, often the word uh, fascist means uh, uh, that you are uh, strictly a racist or simply that you are pro-authoritarian point of view, uh, which is completely not the case. Because uh, the fascist it was a, a very, very, very complex uh, movement with uh, maybe too much complex because there are a lot of, uh, you know, uh, contradiction and opposite point of view, if you know in the deep the history of the movement. But it, it was uh, not only a revolutionary movement, but a revolutionary movement who won a revolution and create and have to rule a state for 20 years. And when you have to rule a state for 20 years, you have to create a new elite, you have to create a way to think, you have to create um, a very complex uh, point of view that now is quite completely unknown. For example, a lot of people doesn't remember or, or maybe doesn't know that actually Mussolini, it was strictly one of the most important uh, members of the Socialist Party. And uh, he left the, the Italian Socialist Party during the First World War when the Socialist Party, it was uh, in a very good moment. But uh, he understand that uh, the secret for the revolution was not the idea of uh, workers against the idea of capital, but uh, uh, that the idea of the um, nation, it, uh, it was a, a better uh, myth to create mobilization. And... Uh, very complex, but for example, a definition that uh, I like of uh, fascist is that um, about the most important problem of the, the last century, that was the relationship between uh, labor and uh, capital. Usually there are uh, uh, two kinds of uh, choice, two kinds of point of view. The capitalists say that uh, the workers doesn't, the work, the labor doesn't exist, and uh, actually exist only the the, um, the the workers no you know but uh, there aren't um, uh, a political subject are uh, a group of people and uh, on the other side there are the socialists and the communists that say uh, should be uh, there should be and there should exist only the workers and the capital uh, should uh, not exist. Uh, the fascism is the very complex uh, tentative try, and I think 
a good try to balance the existence of um, the capital and the idea of production and the right of the workers. And in this dialectic, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, studies and ideas that usually people doesn't know. For example, there are the super leftist uh, Sergio Panunzio, that it was uh, one of the most mm. important uh, academic in Italy during the fascist, that he say we are more Bolshevik than Bolshevik mm. because uh, the fascist workers can uh, control the production and the mm -hmm. communist workers cannot control the production. And at the same time, there were people, there was people like Evola that was mm -hmm. uh, totally against the socialism. So the fascism is an entire world of definition and uh, eight author and ideas. And uh, I think it's not very smart to try to reduce uh, all is, this history only about mm. the immigration issue. But of course, mm -hmm. it's now important, but is, is, a, is a little part of uh, what you can find. Well, before we get into the themes of your book, you mentioned that some of your work with Casa Pound now is focused on updating some of the ideas of fascist Italia. So without getting too specific, we're uh, getting too, too bogged down with the details, can you tell us what in your mind, what in, in, in your point of view, what does it mean to update fascism for the 21st century? I think that um, the idea is to try to understand uh, which is a, a fundamental and um, ontological part of fascism and uh, what is uh, instead uh, uh, accidental or uh, casual. I think that... Uh, the form uh, of the, the state, the authoritarian state during the fascism uh, was uh, something that is not uh, so important. It could be, there was a Romanian fascist, Kudreanu, he says uh, it's more important to create uh, the right fascist than to create, than have um, the good idea. So I think that uh, in this moment, it could be enough to be a school of men and to create um, mm. a new elite or to create the, the chance of, uh, of a new elite. I mm. often uh, do the example of the Bolshevik Revolution and they say, and, and actually they say that they have done the revolution because, yes, there was a, a, an objective situation that was the First World War. But uh, they say we were prepared before the First World War. And so we have uh, uh, took the chance. But if you are not ready, you can't be able to take the chance if, uh, if the fate, if the world offered to you a chance. I think that do politics is like, uh, you know, to swim. If your uh, mm -hmm. boat is uh, sinking, it's too late to try to understand how it's possible to swim. You have to learn to swim before, and then you are able to survive when it's the moment. Or to be a little bit more uh, uh, violent, is uh, like to win uh, a fight uh, in a bar. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to be prepared before, because uh, in this mo in that moment, it will be quite late to understand how it's possible to win a fight. Absolutely. So in 2021, you published uh, 
political witchcraft. That's the English translation of the uh, Italian title. And uh, the central theme is non-conventional political communication. And this is, um, basically, this is a manual that you have written um, in order to help, as you said, form these groups of men and prepare people to be ready to take the chance when these chances are uh, are available and, and, and offered uh, uh, for the taking. So let's get into some of the, uh, the ideas that you present in this book and some of the practical advice that you give how to navigate the, the, the modern political landscape. So to begin, what is non-conventional political communication? What do you mean by that? Uh, the idea, the basic idea, is uh, that uh, today the political communication takes place at the 99% on, uh, social, net on uh, social networks. But uh, uh, these social networks, uh, that we are used to see them uh, as uh, you know, economic actors, actually are both economic actors and also political actors with their own agenda. And in this moment, their agenda is very similar to the uh, leftist, liberal, progressive agenda. So you are playing in a place uh, not neutral. You, if a leftist uh, creates a marketing campaign for a candidate, they obtain some kind of result. But uh, if you try to do the same thing as a, a nationalist, you can't obtain the same result because uh, the social is against you. Uh, so the idea of um, uh, political witchcraft is to analyze how some kind of uh, radical actors as uh, one in some particular uh, situation, try to see some kind of pattern and to create a sort of uh, set of uh, ideas that uh, you can use. But uh, I think that uh, more important that uh, the... Um, the, the set and the single ideas that, you know, maybe today this idea can work and maybe in a year they will be not useful, no? Like uh, Trump uh, in the first uh, electoral campaign was very good uh, on the Facebook, but doing the same thing is not possible uh, four years again. I think that the most important part is the, the, the idea, the theoretical idea that... Uh, this social media has uh, an own progressive agenda, and they are trying to create a situation of total um, political socialization. And so you, as a political dissident, have to understand that your purpose is create a counter-socialization and an uh, island where um, you can speak and spread your idea. So this is the most important part. And then, of course, there are the, the, the single ideas, but the single ideas can work and not work. The, I think that the most important part is to understand that the idea in the, in the wall, no? you know, in the, the entire picture of the idea. Yeah, one of the analogies you make in the book, you talk a lot about big political actors versus small political actors. And you make the analogy of a big army versus a sort of guerrilla army and how in a, a big army has all these resources at hand, they can divide labor 
they can delegate labor. So you have, you know, lieutenants and uh, captains and generals and soldiers who are given specific tasks, and that's all they have to focus on. Whereas the small actor, the the guerrilla army, every soldier in that army has to be adept at many different uh, abilities, many different roles. And so I thought that was a very, a very poignant uh, analogy because I often feel like we are living in occupied territory and we are <laughs> a, a band of rebels. We really are. And we have to learn how to do a lot of things. And I think that sometimes that's why we have these moments where it feels like we're still figuring things out and we don't quite know what to do. Well, it's it's true. We are figuring things out. Many of us are having to learn different skills and and uh, navigate different waters that we never really expected to. One of the themes that I found really interesting amongst many others was the the idea of creating problems instead of trying to solve them. And I I think this is something that our listeners will be very interested to hear as well, because we are so often um, looking at all the things happening around us, and it seems very demoralizing. And there are so many problems. It's, it's almost insurmountable. How can we possibly solve all of them? And in your book, you mentioned that for the small actor, for the guerrilla army, if they want to have a presence in the in the modern world and they want to have effective non-conventional communication, they shouldn't focus too much on trying to solve problems. They should, in fact, try to create them. So can you tell us a bit more about this idea of creating problems instead of trying to solve them? Yes. The, in particular, this idea is to hijack the how the newspaper think the newspaper uh, are always to find uh, uh, the most um, you know uh, emotive uh, information or emotive way to put a particular information and uh, if you propose a solution first of all you you are uh, putting yourself in a position where it's very very easy to to not able to realize and to maintain what you have promised. Because uh, usually in politics, the problems are very complex and uh, they are not a logical problems. They are uh, problems of uh, force, of uh, uh, resource. So uh, it's not enough, have a good idea, but you have, uh, you have to have the energy and the resource to solve the problem. And there are strictly a uh, communication point of view is uh, very, very, very easy and uh, less uh, uh, less uh, cost, less expensive to indicate a problem because a problem creates, uh, you know, an urgency and someone wants to speak about this and the media are more easily interested in uh, give you attention because the problem is something that helps them to send uh, attention and uh, adv um, advise uh, space and uh, and the newspaper copy. If you try to be too much mainstream, you became too much similar to the big party. But uh, under uh, the point of view of the electorate, usually the normal uh, people who have to vote is not too much, uh, you know, political uh, engaged or political format. So if you are too much similar to the mainstream uh, offer, they simply go to the mainstream offer. We in Italy, 
see all the time uh, this uh, tendency where the radical right party, when it obtain a little bit of uh, attention, they try to become a little bit too moderate uh, because uh, you know it's more easy to be accepted by the uh, the political world if you are a moderate. But in this way, they usually lose the vote because if I wanted to vote to vote a moderate, I simply choose a moderate and not a people who was a fascist or a nationalist and now is becoming a voter. And uh, usually for a, a little actor, you have to choose the less expensive options and uh, indicate or create a problems is 10 times more uh, less expensive than try to find a solution. Yeah. Um, or, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I'll do um, an example that I think that it could uh, help the, um, to understand uh, my point. If you check the LGBT and the gay propaganda, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They literally are not interested to solve the problem. If you solve <laughs> the problem of the gay, they have to create a new problem. Exactly. And this is a super efficient um, way to communicate. In Italy, is uh, super clear because um, we have uh, an history of gay issue in a political system that is very short in front of mm -hmm. uh, USA. And mm -hmm. so in my life, I have uh, seen the people speak about the gay problem and say, yeah, we are gay and uh, uh, you treat us different from us. We want to be treated exactly like you. And uh, 10 years uh, later, say, okay, we are not gay. Now we are queer. And now we want to be treated separately and different from you. So the idea is always to create a problem. See, never solve a problem. Because if you hmm. solve a situation, you have not a, a purpose. Is a... Uh, is the another example of that you, another example, yeah, communism as well. They, they're all, they're all, you know, the bastard children of communism. All of these things, the LGBT, the, and another yeah. example that you that you uh, mentioned in the book is feminism, the feminist movement, and I thought that was a perfect example, because where I live in Spain, I, I just see this every almost every day, uh, if, if at least every month or something. That there's just more and more evidence of how the feminist movement in in places like Spain or like Italy, where I also see that it's starting to become more more central in, in the culture, have more influence, more power, it's starting to dominate the culture, much like it did earlier in the English-speaking world. But politically, the feminist movement has accomplished nothing. There are no feminist political parties that have uh, won major national elections. There are no famous feminist politicians that have you know, swept into power. Yes, and it especially is... they have not improved the, the feminist situation. They have... Uh... Only made it worse. <laughs> yes, they have made the worse situation. Uh, <laughs> the, the only result is now that uh, the woman not only have to, of course... Uh, work in a family because uh, it's the mission of the woman. But mm -hmm. also you have to go to work uh, during the work time. So now is uh, literally the double of the problem that uh, the woman have before the feminist. But uh, this is the, under a political point of view, is the right way to, uh, to create a communication and to create a buzz. Of course, uh, if you are a, 
a revolutionary and especially a patriotic, you should think even and also the solution of the problem at a certain point. Well, uh, absolutely. I just think it's such a good example of, of um, the idea of this new form of communication and um, and political and, and cultural manipulation. The feminist movement, uh, the feminists, they don't achieve political, you know, electoral victories, but they are everywhere in the culture and their message is everywhere. Their propaganda is everywhere. And just recently in Spain, the Spanish women's football team, uh, soccer team, they had this amazing moment where they win the Women's World Cup. But the Spanish president, the president of the Spanish Football Association or Federation, whatever, it, whatever it's called, he, in a moment of euphoria, gives a little tiny kiss with consent to one of these female soccer players. And the feminists in Spain seized that moment and they completely took away the, the spotlight from the famous victory of these female soccer players and their moment of triumph. And they have turned it into this weeks long drama. <laughs> uh, but, but again, it's, it's just creating more problems. It's never enough. I've, I've written about feminism. I've written about feminism specifically in Spain. And I've, I, I said that it's basically, it's perma revolution. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, the United States wars in the middle East, they're not meant to be won. They are meant to be permanent. So in, in, in that way, feminism is always permeating in, in the cultural waters. And yet, you know, they don't win elections. They don't, they don't create political parties. But by always having something to say, always pointing out something, a new problem here, something that's not enough, or taking, taking the attention from something like a World Cup and making it about you know, in this particular case, it was about, um, you know, the usual words, the patriarchy, machismo, uh, sexual aggression, these sort of things. But it was, it was just astonishing to watch. I think it is a funny idea that they are so radical and uh, so put in this strategy of uh, permanent war that now they, doesn't, they are literally not able to define what is a feminist, what is a fem, what is a woman. And uh, it's very strange that a feminist movement who is born to fight for the right of women in Italy is, uh, I think, uh, the, in the last uh, weeks, a journalist asked to a um, leftist politician who is to speak about, uh, you know, the problem of, uh, of feminists in Italy and the machismo and blah, blah. And uh, the journalist asked, okay, but what is your definition of woman? And uh, of course, the politician is uh, what uh, was not able because they, there, there is no argument. Is uh, only fight for them. Is um, uh, only against uh, only permanent war. So it's not. Mm -hmm. It's quite not important the, the matter. It's important only to fight. Now, for people like us who are interested in solutions, we do want to improve <laughs> our. Our lives. We want to improve the lives of our our brethren, our our uh, our fellow kin. How then do people like us, who have genuine 
intentions to make it improve we don't want to just always be <laughs> like literally like like women <laughs> or just constantly talking about problems we want to we are men we want to solve things so this is a very uh, delicate balance then is it not yes yes of course uh, uh, but um, uh, you know this is the uh, the, the the problem of the the politics in general and is a uh, a bigger problems for uh, for um, a dissident, no? Because uh, in this moment, the nationalist idea in the West, especially, are uh, uh, marginalized and uh, quite uh, uh, at the beginning to be explicitly outlaw. In mm-hmm. Italy, for example, the leftists are more or less every year trying to create uh, um, some kind of law that uh, create a more difficult situation for any kind of uh, nationalistic uh, politics. For example, mm. in this moment, I don't have a good opinion of the um, government of the, and the party of uh, Brothers of Italy. But I have to admit that uh, uh, in the past, the leftists have created um, a, a jungle of law that now for a, a conservative party is very difficult, for example, try to have a nationalist solution for a problem like the immigration, because there are a lot of law that can create a problems for a, a lot of politicians. And, um, you know, I think that probably one of the biggest problems of the radical right is that we have not a theory of revolution, a system who yes. help you to understand what is happening and understand what, what, what we have to do. And this is the exact contrary of the communists. They always know what they have to do, even if they doesn't understand why are doing something. And uh, usually we are the opposite. We know very well uh, what uh, we don't like. We know a little bit less uh, what we like and what we do, but uh, we know absolutely nothing about how to achieve what we do. And uh, and I think that this is the biggest problem for the radical right. We have to think about a system. We have to think about a theory of revolution because a system helps you to uh, to understand the direction and not to be, and not to wait that, uh, to find a, a problem and say, oh, okay, there are, there are too much feminists. I want to fight the feminists. To find mm-hmm. uh, there are too much immigration. Okay, I have to uh, fight the immigration. No, I think that uh, we we should know where we want to go uh, in an ideal world. And uh, like like the communists. Yeah, it's definitely. I, I absolutely agree that the right. Uh, in fact, not not to again uh, mention my own work, but. I just wrote um, sort of a, a guide to uh, creating dissident art. And in that, I was very, um, very intent uh, on, on making it clear that the right needs to be revolutionary. But in the, in the Julius Evelyn sense of the word, the, the, the true etymological definition of yes. the word revolution and revolutionary, and we, we cannot be conservatives and we cannot just be reactionaries. Um, but we'll, we will talk about um, those those concepts later on. 
One thing you mentioned that the jungle of laws um, in Italy uh, that that hold back that impede nationalists, and I I remember a few years ago now, back when Salvini and uh, Lega were in power, and I believe it was um, the minister uh, for the family. He said something, and I wish talking about you know non-conventional political communication and talking about um, taking advantage of chances and opportunities. He said something, this is now like five years ago, six years ago, perhaps. And I wish that it had taken, it had caught more fire. And I wish even that uh, Fratelli d'Italia would remember what he said and, and see if they can make some more progress. But what he said was that he wanted to abolish uh, La Legge Mancino. You oh. know this law, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you to briefly describe what this, uh, what this law is. But for me, this represents a moment, or I, I suppose it represented a moment, where the, the right, or in this case, you know, sort of, you know, the, the, the establishment, uh, the moderate right, identified something that they could actually do and that would actually improve the nationalist and the right cause by dismantling this this Lege Mancino. Can you tell us a bit about what that is? Yes. The Lege Mancino was um, a law introduced uh, in the second half of the 90s, I think in 96, and uh, it was a law generally against the discrimination. And uh, this law created uh, a, a moral space for the judge that uh, uh, can uh, create a, a worst uh, um, situation for you as an individual or political actor if uh, your act uh, can have some kind of uh, effect uh, which is uh, linked to discrimination uh, for religion or racial or uh, ideological uh, um, motivation. But the point is that uh, is a law right in a way that is very easy to use and very easy to not use. So, for example, statistically, if I check on Google, I find I can find in 10 minutes, I think 100 article of the major newspaper in Italian about the violence of the men against the woman, the feminicidio idea, the mm -hmm. uh, idea that in Italy we use the word feminicidio to indicate an homicide when uh, the victim is a girl and the perpetrator is a man. Here in Spain, course, it's called violencia machista. It's the same concept. Com <laughs> completely, incredible. of course, completely uh, no sense. But uh, so, for example, a feminist can write on uh, on the biggest uh, um, newspaper in, in Italy that uh, we have a problem with the men in this country and uh, we have to fight uh, the idea of uh, men. We have to change the men. We have to put under control the men. And uh, no one and uh, no judge can... Uh, or think to put uh, uh, this journalist um, on a trial. But uh, if, for example, I know a journalist who write an article uh, where notes uh, that uh, a lot of uh, uh, feminicide uh, was committed, uh, actually uh, the perpetrator was um, 
uh, a male, of course, but not an Italian male, an uh, immigrate, mm. uh, immigration mm. man. And he have a process for the Lese Mancino, and he has a trial mm -hmm. for the Lese Mancino. So, you know, this is the, a, a very good leverage for the leftists because we have created a, a law that is not very easy to use, but is possible to use. And um, yeah. especially in Italy, where the uh, the, syst the judge system is not a political system, but is a public system with a... Um, where where you can't as a, with election try to influence the direction of the judiciary system, but uh, usually our uh, judiciary system is a uh, very leftist. And um, mm. just for an interesting note, this is was uh, this is the output and the precise uh, result obtained by a um, strategy of the Italian Communist Party that in the 70s try, as I understand, and as uh, uh, develop this strategy to occupy most part of the judge uh, have to be communist. They have worked for, less, uh, for um, more or less for 20 years. And now we can say that the 90% of uh, the judge in Italy are leftists. Yeah, the, the minister of the family, when he made his comments about his desire to abolish La Legge Mancino, he said that it had become twisted into now basically only being a law which discriminates against Italians. Yes, and, yes, it's the perfect and, definition. Yeah, and it, it just it, it reminds me of the Equalities Act in in Britain or the Civil Rights Act in the United States. These things have now just become tools to discriminate against. In the Equalities Act's case, the Native British in the United States uh, against white Americans, and it's it's no different in Italy with this uh, Mancino law. And it's just so interesting how there's so many similarities all throughout the Europeans' uh, world, whether we are here on the European continent, whether in, we are in the European diaspora countries, that there is so much that is the same, that the same, we're fighting against the same hydra, the same monster um, pretty much everywhere. Yes, now, yes, absolutely. There's... Another advice that I, I thought was really quite useful that you mentioned in your book is that the small political actor should fish for the voters that already exist rather than trying to uh, you know, convince voters or rather than trying to create this voting block, which if you don't have the resources, if you don't have the money and the reputation of the big political actor, right? The big army. You can't depend on having, you know, voters who identify with your brand, basically. So what the small actor should do is fish for the voters that already swim in the river. And to my mind, this, this would be, for example, the disappointed voters uh, who voted for Fratelli Italia. So rather than... I think I, I suppose this is a way of looking at you know, the, some of the disappointment of Meloni's government in a positive way, because you make the distinction between a word that we don't really use in English, uh, militant, um, 
it's difficult to I always find it difficult to explain or translate what a what a militante is in English because we don't really have this in English in the English world. But you you make the other distinction between militants, sympathizers, and voters. And with the voter, they're they're not really, you know, analyzing every political party's platform and and looking at the differences. Um they are just pretty much having a general view of what they like and what they don't like and what they are fed up with and and casting a vote. And in many cases, they are voting based on loyalty to their party or loyalty to their to the brand that the party has become. But with the with Brothers of Italy, you have this huge support for what was ostensibly a right-wing anti-immigration nationalist party. Now, they may have done some good things in the year, year and a half that they've been in power, but on the central issue of immigration, they have been quite bad. And so I I want to know if there's a lot of disappointment um, amongst the voters for of, of Fratelli Italia, and if this is a an example of where the radical right could fish for these these disappointed voters and basically just take advantage of a sentiment that already exists now and voters who already exist. Uh, uh, absolutely, theoretically, yes. But I think that in this moment and uh, probably in the near future, the right wing voters in Italy, it will become like the the black voters in the USA. The black voters usually doesn't vote, don't vote, because they have um, this kind of this kind of uh, frustration, uh, because they think if I vote, nothing changes. So I, 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 it's better for me to not vote. I quite think that um, for uh, probably five years, ten years, the right wing voters, uh, it could be entered in this kind of uh, vision. Because uh, we have uh, a little bit of a series of uh, delusion. We have uh, the Salvini uh, situation in uh, four years ago mm-hmm. that was good, but not enough good. And now the, we have uh, the government of uh, Brothers of Italy, uh, which is more moderate that you, that you can uh, imagine it out of Italy. So it's very possible mm-hmm. that... Um, for one or two elections, the right elector, especially the more, uh, you know, the more uh, aware uh, uh, around the immigration point, uh, they, they will not go to, to vote. It's um, a movement that uh, we have seen in Italy uh, a pair of times, usually in the leftist, where the leftists in the 90s <clears throat> do some kind of social promise when they won the election and they were, uh, wasn't able to hmm. create a better condition for workers. So after two or three times, the workers doesn't vote for uh, five years, hmm. 10 years, the leftists. I think that uh, it's very possible, but especially a national level, not a local level, especially a national level, the Italian against the immigration is now thinking, okay, it's not rational for me to vote because... Uh, uh, my country or my political or my uh, government is not uh, uh, 
uh, enough uh, strong to 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 put an end uh, to to find a solution for this problem but of course uh, is different at the local level where i think that is very possible that you can create a nice opportunity for for something that is uh, more writer than um, than uh, the brothers of Italy party, but in Italy is not uh, so easy create a new party because uh, even if they change the name, usually the party has um, a longer uh, history, and so when a politician create a new party, it's not very easy to to take the vote because uh, the electoral um, tradition of the Italian is to change the party. But do not change the coalition. Is I know it is a weird definition, but <laughs> I mean that usually a leftist can be disappointed for a party of a left, and the next time he'll vote again a party of left, but not the same party. And mm-hmm. there is some sort of circulation of vote. So I vote the progressist, and then I vote the democrats, and then I vote against the communist, and then again. But uh, usually the Italian doesn't change the coalition. If you are a leftist in Italy, usually you are quite convinced of your idea or your uh, vision. And if you are a writer, uh, you are quite convinced of your idea. It's not easy that you change uh, the Mm -hmm. idea, especially because uh, the history of the leftist in Italy is uh, very strange because uh, the leftist in Italy is strongly anti-Italian. And... uh, if you are a leftist, you can't change uh, your uh, idea because I'm quite sure that it's not a political uh, issue, but quite a psychological issue, a sort Absolutely. of uh, aid for yourself. Hmm. Yes. I, yeah, totally. I, I totally agree. Um, I'm curious, and I think some many of our listeners will be curious as well. What do you think is the feeling of Italians with Meloni's government, in particular, uh, Italians in general, but in particular the Italians who voted for Fratelli Italia up and down the peninsula. We've had a year of her government. There's been some positive things, but the main theme, the main problem has not been solved. And in fact, it seems to have even only got worse to the to the point where I sometimes now am wondering, is Maloney... Was she a, uh, you know, a, a plant? Was she? I didn't have much faith in her to begin with, but even I am uh, quite surprised just how it's not that she has failed to stop the boats or reduce immigration a, a little bit. It's that it's actually increased. And so I'm curious, what do the Italians feel about this uh, this twist in 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 the story? Uh, is there a lot of disappointment? Is it, as you said, are they just saying, well, well we, won't, we won't vote I, again? Or what is, what is the, the situation in Italy like with the people who voted for I, uh, for I give you two answers. The first one is uh, my point of view. I, um, I haven't faith in, um, in, in the Meloni, but especially when uh, the Brothers of Italy party has declared a very um, strange, uh, as choose a very strange label label in Italy to define themselves. Two or three years ago, uh, Brothers of Italy says we are the Italian Conservative Party, which, mm. of course, okay. if you are not Italian, 
uh, it could mm. be uh, not so weird declaration. But in Italy, it's a very, very weird declaration because the right in Italy, um, the, the conservative word is not a traditional word uh, in Italian. There was not a conservative party in Italy. And especially in the right, a, a lot of part uh, of the you know patriotic, nationalistic people, uh, whoever who have some kind of link of uh, even emotive link with the fascist, doesn't use the word conservative because the tradition of the Italian right is to be revolutionary. Or at least the Italian right see uh, itself as revolutionary. The idea that uh, the Meloni use uh, a lot the word conservatism uh, for me is a precise signal uh, because conservatives is uh, something, for example, that uh, you can use for the Republican Party or in general mm-hmm. in the Anglo-Saxon system, where in the Anglo-Saxon system, you usually have two parties and uh, only one politics. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> the, um, if you use the word conservative, uh, usually you are uh, uh, trying to say in, in a political science, under the economic point of view, I'm totally capitalistic, exactly like the Italian left. <laughs> uh, under the um, politi- international politics, I'm totally pro-Western, exactly like the Italian uh, left. Under the immigration point of view, I'm totally pro-immigration because I think, not for a moral reason, like the leftist, they think that uh, we have not enough African in Italy uh, but it's not, uh, it, it's not enough. It doesn't matter the number. You say two million, not enough. Six million, not enough. And you know, it's a moral point. And, uh, but it's the same because the conservatives say, okay, we are not uh, in favor of immigration for moral reason. We are in favor of immigration for economic reason because uh, we mm-hmm. need more workers for uh, Italian uh, productive system. First of all, it's a lie because we have... Uh, unemployment, uh, mm-hmm. a, a rate of unemployment, uh, especially if, uh, in uh, young people. More or less, uh, yes, that is, mm-hmm. of course, and uh, quite a third world uh, uh, rate. So we need everything but not new workers. And I'm quite uh, sure that in Africa, there are not so much uh, people that are working here and they are able to work in a modern economy like should be the Italian model. Oh, no, and that's why uh, Compindustria had to yeah. uh, build an academy in Ghana to train yes. uh, African workers to then import them into Italy to do Italian jobs. Uh, yes, I just... wrote an article say, okay, maybe I am a, a little bit too much fascist, but uh, you understand <laughs> that uh, you are using the money of the Italian workers yes. to pay yes. African workers to steal the worker of the Italian workers. It's I think that is so the dystopian. most capitalistic and dystopian <laughs> idea. But even I, I prefer the leftist, but they think that uh, <laughs> yeah. we need the African and we don't have to to ask them to work. But oh, it could be a little bit less dangerous. So to be short, the only difference between a conservative and a leftist is the cultural point of view. If a leftist is... Uh, uh, you know, anti-patriotic, a cultural, a conservative usually as a more uh, patriotic narration. If a leftist is uh, pro-abortion to six months, nine months, uh, twelve years after the birth, uh, 
uh, the conservative usually is a, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, elastic. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, more or less is uh, all here. Uh, we we are finally uh, obtain the a system very similar to the USA system. We can do the election. We can go to vote. We have a lot of party, but uh, we have uh, only one politics. So. Yes, I was okay, going to say that, but, you know. that I have I have noticed, and it, it is very concerning for for me. I have noticed that uh, politics in Italy, but elsewhere as well uh, in Spain, it does seem to be coming more like politics in the United States. And um, for example, we can remember Salvini and his multiple visits to Israel. Salvini kind of adopted the, the the American conservative, the Republican position. You know, he took pictures of himself holding, uh, you know, firearms at a, at a shooting range, like like a Republican would do in you know uh, some rural uh, state uh, during during his election campaign. You know, I'm a I'm a straight shooter. Vote for me, um, and here's me at the at the gun range, which just seemed very out of place. Um, now, it's true that Salvini did want to make some improvements to Italian self-defense laws and, um, and Italian laws surrounding the ownership, ownership of firearms. But these photo ops, they just had a very American flavor. And then, of yes, course, yes, um, putting Israel on a pedestal, that's very, very uh, American. It's, I mean, we, we see Republicans debating on a stage with Israeli flags pinned on their suits. Um, I, I want to just to to say something can help the people to understand how is changed the political system in Italy and how we are became today mm, to a sort of American system. In the 90s, during the first world of uh, Gulf against uh, Saddam Hussein, the leader of the fascist party, because uh, in the 90s there was the Italian movement social party, but it was the MSE, the party founded of the fascist defeat under the Second World War. He goes to, to Iraq and he met uh, Saddam Hussein and he says, okay, there is a part of Italian that uh, are against the USA and we are with you, Iraq, uh, Iraqans and uh, Saddam. Of course, nothing happened. But uh, only to understand how much is changed the uh, Italian system now is completely impossible to think something mm -hmm. uh, of similar. Only 30 years ago, I have seen uh, an important uh, Italian politics literally go during a war to an enemy of the USA to say, okay, we are with you. I think or even more recently, remember when Berlusconi was quite uh, friendly with Gaddafi and there was good relations with Libya. Oh, um, yes. It was a was just uh, te 10, 15 years ago. I, I was, yes, I was yes. living in Italy at that time. That was, uh, that was uh, I think, 10, about 10 years ago. Uh, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, and then, of course, you know, the United States and, uh, and the French as well uh, decided that uh, Gaddafi was no longer allowed to be uh, on the chessboard. And so they, <laughs> they removed him. <laughs> um, another thing about the Italian conservatism, and I, I totally agree with you that it's just such a strange term, particularly uh, in continental Europe. It's the same in Spain as well. The conservative, no, 
hardly anyone. In fact, <laughs> in Spanish politics, liberal, liberal, actually means uh, fascista. Um, it's considered, if someone says that you're a, a liberal, it means you're on the right. Um, and conservatives are considered to be, yeah, like you said, just uh, sort of more elastic uh, leftists, more or less. Um, but what I noticed also with this Americanization of Italian politics and the Americanization of Fratelli d'Italia was how Meloni particularly focused a lot on family values. Um, and I think that that was how she was able to, well, first of all, I mean, everything nowadays, the, the mainstream establishment media, everything in their eye is far right, far right, far right. We see this even in Ireland, just you know, peacefully protesting against a government decision to send 300 Afghanis into your village. Well, that's far right. So the media says that Maloney is far right, but really all she's doing is mostly talking about family values. She made a she made she was the guest speaker at a rally of Vox in Spain recently before her election and she made this very passionate speech about catholic values, family values, and it seems to me that that again was very uh, republican, very american republican talking about you know the family values um but there was not so much substance to it. And I feel like that was a way that Maloney was able to get a lot of voters or, or, or in, in your distinction, the, the sympathizers. But to me, it, it just reminded me, it, it smacked a lot of American style Republican politics, but yes, there's yes, a lot of substance it to it. Is, uh, it's totally true. And uh, I think that uh, she has chose uh, this kind of flavor, this kind of, uh, you know, family narration. But the real reason is that uh, she knows that uh, about a lot of uh, issue, she has the same position of the leftist. So she can't do an election on the economic point of view because uh, his position, more or less, are the same of the leftist. She can't do an election... Uh, speaking about uh, international uh, politics, because more or less uh, she has the same position on the leftist. So the, she has to choose, uh, you know, an uh, issue where uh, there was a different. It's like in the USA, often when I speak uh, in Italy, it's hard to explain that uh, in the USA, a lot of uh, electoral campaign is about the personal life of the, of the candidate. In the USA, you can speak about uh, uh, what you have done uh, when uh, you was in the college. Have you smoked marijuana in the college? In Italy, for a long time, this was completely no sense because uh, we have uh, this kind of uh, flavor, extremely politics, uh, because we have um, politics extremely radical. Uh, the the chief of the, of the Communist Party is not important is a personal life is important because he's the chief of, of the party and uh, i struggle to explain that uh, in america you have to speak about the personal life because the politics the issue are the same so if you can't mm. say we have a different point of view in the economy we have uh, the same point of view in the social we have the same point of view in a lot of things the only difference is uh, 
I have done Harvard, have, uh, you have done uh, Yale, and Harvard is better <laughs> than Yale. Uh, in Italy, 20 years ago, it was completely impossible to think. Now, more or less, uh, we are uh, not at the same level of the USA, but I think that uh, we'll, uh, we'll be soon uh, here. Well, so this is, a, this is a concern for me. And in your book, you, uh, you have a, a segment in which you warn about the error of using USA um, bipolar, I think was the word you used, tactics, because in America you have basically a, a uniparty, but uh, it's, it, it, it sort of sells itself as uh, two parties, but really it's, it's just one, as you said. They're basically the, the same on every, on every uh, issue. But ostensibly you have these these two parties, and it's the same in, in the United Kingdom. You have two parties. Um, whereas for a country like Italy and uh, many other countries in Europe, it, there's a plural party situation. And you warn about thinking too much in these uh, sort of American or, or I should say perhaps um, Anglosphere terms of uh, the, the bipolar, the, the two-party system. And yet it seems as if with the Americanization or, or the um, Angloization of politics, even in countries like Italy, this is going to be harder to avoid. What do you think about that? Yes, yes. I think that is um, uh, probably in Italy, everything is uh, start at the, the end of the Cold War. Because, uh, of course, until the 90s, you know, we have a Communist Party who literally speaks about uh, Bolshevik revolution. Of course, we all know that we are Italian. Uh, we don't do revolution. But uh, at a, a narrative level in the 90s, they uh, continue to speak uh, uh, of a revolution. And uh, in the meanwhile, you have the Movimento Social Italiano, the post-fascist party, who literally speaks about uh, fascist revolution or create a pro uh, law proposal that it was uh, quite literally the proposal of Mussolini. And then when um, the Cold War ended because the Soviet Union collapsed, immediately in Italy we have seen something very strange, that all the party, and it's very strange because we have not liberal and capitalistic party. We have uh, the communist, we have the fascist, and we have the... A democratic Christian party who was uh, absolutely not uh, too much capitalistic. It was more a Christian social point of view. So, yes, you have the right of uh, private property, but uh, we don't have to have uh, poor people in Italy. Just for uh, an example to help the people to understand. In Italy in the 70s, the uh, one of the chief of the Christian, the Christian party, uh, Fanfani, I mean Tore Fanfani, created a law, uh, uh, il, the, the Fanfani plan, and uh, the state builds half million of houses for all the Italian, because uh, they doesn't want uh, Italian homeless. Fun fact: Fanfani was a professor during the fascism of uh, fascist economy. So I'm quite sure that he still was a fascist during the 70s. But okay, this is another question. But uh, what I mean, that is uh, in Italy, 
in the end of the 80s, we haven't a liberal party. We haven't a capitalistic uh, party. And when the Cold War uh, finished and when the Soviet Union collapsed, everyone understand that now there are only one alternative, that is the capitalistic system with, uh, the, the, with the guide, with the guidance of the USA. So in uh, less than two years, every party became liberal. And it's very strange. The communists became immediately progressist. The democristian uh, became moderate. And the fascists became post-fascist and uh, uh, started to begin to become a conservative. But uh, all started during the, um, uh, at the end and uh, at the crumble of the Soviet Union, where all the party understand that, uh, okay, now in Italy, the real chief is, uh, we are part of the West. So we have, uh, you, you can uh, rule the Italy if... Uh, the American embassy is a, is agree with your position. So hmm. uh, we were uh, communist, fascist, uh, uh, and uh, in uh, one night uh, we become uh, every every Italian became a liberal in a night. I think the uh, the political scientist Carlo uh, Galli wrote a lot about this. He, I, about this this Absolutely. this change in, in in the way that uh, all across Europe really um, everything just changed uh, things just became very based on on that uh, anglophone but particularly American model. Um, okay, so we spoke about the word conservative in an Italian context and how it doesn't make much sense. Um, we have a comment here on Odyssey along with a three dollar donation. Uh, from Dino Legovic, thank you very much. And he says, conservative is a defunct, archaic term now. There is nothing left to conserve. When homosexual marriage is legal and men can become women, what is left to conserve? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree. <laughs> and then, let's see, there was, a, yeah, there was another comment here from Dino Legovic while, while I'm reading the comments. And the donations here, another $3 donation. And he said, I saw recently that ancient Rome was supported by many farmers who slowly lost their livelihood and land to imported products uh, and the wealthy with imported slave labor, which then took the land. This was a major reason for the decline of ancient Rome. Yes, I think I, I saw that video as well. Um, I think it was part of a video essay competition, um, and yeah, it had a lot of uh, a lot of striking parallels to to today's time, as ancient Rome often seems to have. It's uh, it's it's a bit cliche that we always look to Rome uh, for examples or to find something from history that sounds a bit similar to something going on, but very often it is the case. Um, okay, and. Let's see. Over on Entropy as well, I wanted to uh, read these uh, donations as well because we have a $120 donation from Andre Mattis, who says, for the great work. Thank you very much, Andre. And Sesto Fior donates $100 as well. And he says, the Homeland Institute is great. And yes, we're very excited about the Homeland Institute. Guido, before we take some questions from the audience, I had one more question for you. In the Anglophone world, 
there is a phrase that's often repeated. I don't know if it's said uh, in Italy as much. Um, the phrase is, there is no political solution. Now, you've written a book about politics, polit political strategy, communication, um, militant uh, militism. And I, I did, the thought did strike me when I was reading the book about how uh, absurd some of us all is, some of, uh, how messy, è un gran casino, Italian politics and parliamentary politics, all these, all these different parties and all this manipulation and communication and, and you have to fish for these voters and convince these people here. And it just seems like it's, it's a, uh, a bit of a mess. And then there's the question of when you get into power, will you be able to actually use your power or will there be some, uh, as you mentioned earlier, some of these uh, leftist judges that will try to stop you? Uh, in the case of Salvini, right, they convicted him of kidnapping and <laughs> that was his, uh, his ruin. So my question for you is, what do you make of this sentence, this, this phrase, there is no political solution? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Oh, I, I disagree, but I understand uh, which is the point. I only think that uh, usually people uh, doesn't remember the difference of elec um, the electoral plane and the political plane. It's very possible that uh, there is no uh, electoral solution, but it's impossible that uh, there is not uh, a political solution because you can win an election and not obtain the power, but uh, at, at a previous level or a more high level, uh, the political is how to manage the power. So the solution is, of course, a, a political solution. The point is, is enough to win the election? And I think that is completely not enough. The history, the recent history of Italy is a perfect example. If you see the last 30 years, the most part of the election was win, was won, sorry, uh, by a right and a conservative coalition. But if you see the Italian as a country, as a society, we are 10 times more leftist than 30 years ago, which means that there is something different, something more important than the, than the election. I think that a typical uh, error of the right people is to not be able to understand that the consensus is important, but is not the real levels of the power. If you ask at the, if you ask to Italian in the nineties, do you want immigration? The one hundred, the ninety percent of the Italians say no, I don't want immigration. And if you do the same question ten years later, you have the same answer, but the immigration is still here. So the point is the consensus is. Maybe important, but the political level is something previous and more important. Our problems, I think, is that we have not a theory of uh, what is politics. And uh, um, is more or less uh, what I was um, trying to say at the beginning. The communists, they have a theory of, uh, of the power. They think that there is... Uh, a history uh, of, of clash between workers 
and uh, between capital and the real power is not the election but the the violence that you are able to explain to organize as workers of course i don't i'm not saying that uh, the solution is violence i'm saying that the solution is not think okay if i win the election i can change the system trump has won the election and uh, is not uh, change uh, the system and i think that uh, uh, we have maybe to try to think uh, uh, more on a political level and less uh, an electoral level. In the radical right, in the Italian radical right, I use the term radical right, but probably is not quite usual in Anglo-Saxon words, but this is one of the many difference between, uh, you know, uh, Anglo-Saxon nationalist uh, world and the Italian or Spanish of a European world. We have done a little bit of debate about um, what is the power, what is, but I think that uh, we are uh, only at the beginning, Echo. Uh, nothing to compare with uh, the theory of the power that, uh, for example, is uh, typical of the leftist of the communist. But I think, to answer to your uh, question, that is very possible. Oh, oh, oh just another point. Uh, in Italy, an Italian communist, uh, Gramsci, spoken about the word hegemony. Usually, a lot of people think that hegemony is when you win, you have to occupy the power, but it's not, this is the spoil system, this is not hegemony. Hegemony is something more complex. Hegemony is to create an idea that your enemy thinks that is a good idea, but actually is helping you. This is the communist definition of hegemony. And we can see this every day, especially in Italy, where uh, the right people are more, you know, superficial, naive. They think, oh, I can win the election. Yeah, but you are not working on the society. The society is every day becoming more leftist because uh, while are you speaking uh, in the parliament, uh, the leftists are uh, using Instagram. Why are you speaking... Uh, uh, about the legge mancino and you are not able to find a solution they are creating a new idea and spreading in the young people so i think that is a strategy problem not a, a political problem and in a way this is something that the right can use to its advantage and instead of being demoralized and saying it's so over we're, we're not going to make it there's no political solution well, if you shift the focus away from elections and trying to change the system by winning national elections and in places like the United States where it is a, a unit party in the disguise of a dual party system, that can be a very tall order. But if you shift your focus to the metapolitical, if you shift your focus to like what you said, uh, sh sending your messages through the culture, through the society, through Instagram, or as I recently wrote about uh, in two of the, the, the last two articles I wrote, uh, were both about the importance of the right, the radical right, which I think is a term that the Anglosphere should use more often as well. Enough of this dissident right or conservatives, things like that. We need to be making art. We need to be making a, a genuine counterculture and 
through that, you are going to shift society and, and shift pockets of society and shift the opinions and, and the perspectives of different age groups, different generations. You wrote about something, and, and this was also part of your, your speech, about the super socialization and how we are we're connected to uh, social media in some way or another about 10 hours a day. And as you mentioned, you know, 30 years ago, some, if you ask an Italian, if they were, were in favor of, you know, the kind of immigration that we're seeing today and from the places that we are seeing that it comes from, no Italian would have said they were in favor of this. And um, in your uh, article, you give another example of how, Someone in Italy today over the age of 30 most likely does not identify as, you know, transgender or non-binary or any of that. Whereas the generations younger than 30, well, they are increasingly um, interested in these things or identifying with these things. Well, how does that happen? Well, because the younger generation is constantly on TikTok or constantly on Instagram. And these this um, metapolitical structure and these metapolitical really propaganda is everywhere on those uh, on those platforms. It's not that and this is true also in, in in the United States as well. The Republican Party is quite successful and and in the United Kingdom, the Tories are they've been in power for 13 years over there. They're immensely successful uh, with the elections, but look at where the culture has gone in those countries. How did that happen? And so I think people on our side of things get very demoralized and say there's no political solution because we're not focusing on the right part of politics. And that's what I think your book is really um, helpful. Uh, it's about shifting that focus to things where areas where the right can actually have a lot of impact, a lot of effects, a lot of influence. Yeah, I think the, the the focus on winning elections and things like that, it has become a bit of a a distraction. <laughs> and I uh, I suppose I it's totally because agree. we sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, I totally agree. In Italy, maybe we have a little bit of experience than in different countries because uh, the history of the radical nationalism in Italy born uh, very soon after the Second World War we have seen a fascist party and uh, we have seen that uh, you can go quite well in the election, but nothing changed really. If you don't understand that the power, that the election are only a single leverage in a very complex system full of leverage. And you have to try to understand which are the different level leverage that you, that you are not able to touch in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. This is why, for me, ultimately, I would just love monarchy. <laughs> so we don't have to. We don't have to worry. We have the monarch. I I truly do not have to worry about the political views of my neighbor. We know who's in charge. We know who makes the decisions, <laughs> and there's there's nothing more to it. You mentioned Kolranu earlier, and I think he had said something once about how there might be bad monarchs, but monarchy itself is good. You can have a bad monarch, but you cannot have bad monarchy. But I, then... can think, I can think that uh, we can see under strictly a political point of view, I doesn't want to 
speak about uh, the Catholic. But if you see the Catholic Church as a state, is literally a state, the, the oldest state in the world, mm-hmm. and he, he has this kind of model. You can have a bad poop, maybe 10 bad poop, one after the other, but hmm. the mechanism is very good. Is uh, the, the mechanism, it was uh, life 1,000 ago. Every uh, different country in the world is uh, collapsed, and now they are a little different, but they are still here. So I think that this could be a very good point. Well, um, it's, it's nothing practical or realistic. I mean, we have to live in the world that we live in, I, I don't expect a return to monarchy anytime soon in uh, a, a restoration of the House of Savoia anytime soon. No, no. In, oh, uh, in, in Italy, Italy, especially, it will be the worst uh, case in the uh, in the world because uh, our uh, royal our, our royal family was not under an ethical point of view a good example. Maybe mm-hmm. different countries with different uh, tradition could be a little bit uh, perform better than Italy. What do you think is in? You might know this, but in the English-speaking uh, world, and also I think in Italy, I, I, I'm half Italian. I've lived in Italy. I, I, I speak, and I know that Italians, they can sometimes have a low self-esteem, and um, Italians even have this uh, saying every now and again. Uh, they have variations of it that you know Italy would be the greatest country in the world if it weren't for the Italians. Um, and I don't know if, if you've heard this or come across yes, this. Yes, yes. Um, and then outside of Italy, it's often thought that Italy, Italian people needs a strong ruler, democracy, parliamentary politics, that sort of thing. It's not the best system for Italians. Italians need a strong ruler, whether it's a monarch or whether it's a, a dictator like Mussolini. What are your thoughts on that uh, sort of stereotype? Oh, I, I totally agree. Under, under, <laughs> <laughs> under an anthropologic point of view, every town in Italy, maybe because uh, every town has a long, long, long history. Now, for example, I live in Turin, and Turin more or less have quite uh, 2,000 uh, years. So you create a cultural modern, some kind of uh, cultural pattern that are very, very, very strong. And um, an anthropological point of view, the Italy is, uh, you know, like the Libya. If you want to go in the same direction, you can't ask uh, which, uh, which is the opinion of the Italian. Because if we are 10 in a room, we have at least 12 opinions. And um, I think that uh, probably this one... Uh, uh, one of the reasons why the Muslim government uh, ruled uh, so well the Italian, because he understood that you can't really try to convince a speaker the Italian. You have to be a little bit more direct. And mm. another thing that uh, I like to uh, say when I speak with someone that is not Italian, that is very strange for a non-Italian to understand, that is, of course, when we have lose the war, the, the anti-fascist can become the ruling class because they have helped the Anglo-Saxon that, under our point of view, was the were the invasor. And so, for this reason, 
our elite, political elite, from the Second World War today, has a long history of uh, to be cultural anti-Italian, because uh, at the mm-hmm. beginning they were chosen by a sort of uh, compromise between Soviet Union, uh, United Kingdom, um, USA, and now this kind of influence is uh, a, a mental pattern of our ruling class. And mm-hmm. of course, our ruling class is born on the body of the dead fascist. So mm-hmm. the anti-fascism is a very important theme in, um, and a very important issue in the, our political system at uh, the narrative system, at the narrative level. But uh, what is very strange to understand, that you can understand only if you live in Italy for a, a, ling- a little bit, at that uh, the society and the state, the officiality and the reality are very separated in Italy. And mm-hmm. uh, usually there are a lot of cities, and especially in the little town, where the word fascist has uh, not a bad spin. Because, for mm-hmm. example, in the north of Italy, during the Second World War, a lot of uh, grandma- grandfather of uh, the people of my generation literally fight the Second World War under the fascist insignia. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, for example, I live in Brescia, and uh, we were the center of the uh, Repubblica uh, Sociale di Salò. And so I think that is very strange that usually if you read uh, a newspaper in Italy, you read a lot about uh, anti-fascism, anti-fascism, anti-fascist. And if you uh, listen to political uh, Italian politics, everyone say, oh, we are more anti-fascist than you, etc., etc. But in <laughs> reality, if you go in a bar, you often see the gadget of uh, Mussolini. If you speak of someone, you often see someone, uh, someone with, with some kind of uh, tattoo, uh, fascist tattoo. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, this is uh, very strange, very weird when you are out of Italy. But I think that this is very funny and it can explain how the reality works. When you have the power, of course, you can uh, control the newspaper and the official narrative. But actually, if you go in a, a real bar, in a real bar and you uh, pay a bottle of wine to a grandfather of someone, he can uh, say, oh, during the 70s, I was uh, with the radical right, and they have shot a pair of time to the leftist. It's very similar in Spain as well with the the legacy of uh, Franco. Um, Okay, so let's get some questions in on uh, Odyssey or some questions sent to the Entropy. As we wait for those questions, uh, just to continue on with the the thought that we are discussing right now, I think one of the reasons why Italy needs a strong ruler, whether it's a dictator or a monarch or a god emperor, is because of the many differences amongst Italians and the Italian people. Now, I'm not an ideologue. I, I... I, I really uh, do identify with that uh, the old G.K. Chesterton quote where he says that basically um, if your ideology allows a man to buy a house, grow some cabbage, meet and fall in love with a woman, marry her and have children, then I'm I'm on the side of that ideology. If your <laughs> ideology 
in, impedes a man, prevents a man from doing those things, then I'm against that ideology. And it's the same for me. I, I'm not really an ideologue, but on one position where I, I might be less flexible is ethno-nationalism. And I, I do believe in nations and in the the most ancient definition of the word, going back to the definition that was provided to us by Herodotus of what is a nation. And there are many nations in Italy. If you think of the linguistic differences and even some of the heritage uh, in some parts of Italy with the the Norse and the Celtic admixture, there's parts of Italy where they speak a language, their local dialect. Really, dialect is a improper term. They're completely different languages. I don't understand uh, if someone speaks a dialect from Sicily or if they speak a dialect of Sardo uh, from Sardinia. I, I don't understand what they're saying. And I think, you know, Mussolini was very firm, very firm um, in this unification of of the the, the modern uh, Italian nation state and even in areas going into into outside of the the modern Italian borders uh, parts of you know, modern day Switzerland uh, Austria where people speak Romance and things like that you know the, there was a lot of punishment if you spoke if you didn't speak you know proper uh, Italian so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on secession movements in Italy? Uh, years ago, there was, when it wasn't just Lega, it was Lega Nord. There was a secessionist party, really. It's since uh, changed. It's no longer concerned with that. Um, you write about this in your book. But originally, Lega Nord was a northern secessionist uh, political party that ironically became too successful for its own good and couldn't actually maintain itself and its and its uh, secessionist ideology because it had to, as you said earlier, be- become moderate in order to stay uh, on the political scene. And so it had to kind of abandon its um, separatism. But there's still separatist movements in, um, in Alto Adige, in uh, Sud Tirol, um, what are your thoughts on on the Italian nation state or these even in Spain as well? This is a, a, a very uh, hot issue uh, with Catalan separatism or um, Basque separatism. What are your thoughts on on these issues and how they relate to the Italian need for a strong leader? I um, uh, Italian um, is quite curious that in. Uh, uh, as you have said, there are a lot of different uh, identities, very, very strong. But uh, in reality, uh, only the North, the Lega North, was able to enter in the political arena. And a little bit, uh, there was the, the party of uh, the Sardinia secessionist. But um, I think that uh, it was a little bit strange because... Uh, Yes, they are, uh, under a cultural point of view, very different um, culture, more under a folklore point of view. And uh, uh, But uh, in the democracy, they became uh, especially a, a system to obtain a lot of votes. But uh, 
uh, without have the responsibility to actually rule. And uh, the real problem of the Lega Nord, of the North uh, League, it was that, as you have said, it became too much successful and uh, they literally take too much votes. So they have to choose uh, or to try the secession or to say, okay, we have a joke and uh, it's not possible to do a secession. And uh, we try to obtain better situation for the North of Italy. And it mm-hmm. was a, a, a very strange um, history. The issue under the party was very true because uh, uh, the North of Italy usually is more richer than uh, the mm-hmm. center of, and the left and the south, but is uh, really for a long time really underrepresented. Uh, in the elite ruler of uh, Italian. So it was very easy for uh, this party to say, we pay the tax for uh, all the Italian, but uh, we can't rule for ourselves. But to create a secessionist movement and to create a secessionist is literally like to do a revolution, is uh, Mm -hmm. the most difficult uh, uh, issue that you can uh, try to obtain in a political process. And uh, actually, they only were uh, they only were uh, you know politician. They want uh, to obtain the votes, but they want to obtain the struggle. And so the the project uh, uh, collapsed, and uh, the Lega Nord tried to become a sort of uh, uh, anti-immigration party, and mm-hmm. uh, but uh, try to transform in something different because. Uh, uh, you know, is uh, today in uh, the world of today, do a secession is like to do a war, and uh, uh, it's not uh, very easy. Is very possible, but probably is uh, more easy to do a revolution than a secession. Absolutely, and I I have said on uh, some occasions, particularly when there's a debate amongst people on the the dissident right about ethno-nationalism versus a grand imperium, a sort of pan-European, even including the European diaspora countries, a white imperium. And um, one thing that those in favor of this vision of a European imperium will say is that it's Faustian. It, it It gives European man a vision. Uh, it gives him something to fight for, something to to dream about. And my response has always been, well, I think we're on our knees right now. And so we can't really be thinking of grand empires and, and a white imperium uh, when we're on our knees. So it's not very realistic. Meanwhile, as you said, there, there are some real possibilities of these uh, separatist movements some of them, like Leonor, were quite right-wing, even fascist. And then now we have the Catalan and Scottish and things like that, which are very uh, globalist and, and leftist and progressive. But I think that, as you said, today in today's world, a separatist movement, a secessionist movement, would be revolutionary. And I think, actually, this could be this is the, the Faustian vision that could inspire European peoples. Rather than striving for this uh, grand imperium, instead striving to 
take back their their identities, take back their their culture, and break away from these uh, super power institutions that really don't have their best interests at heart, and these these kind of house of cards nation states that are products of you know the 19th and 20th century. I just I do think that there's a bit of romantic there's a romantic element to that but again practical things the practical realities of the world are are very different um but you know okay, politics me... uh, politics is uh, a matter for uh, people with dream I, I I do think so I I think sometimes particularly nowadays everyone's you know dressed in suits and talking heads on television and as we said um a lot of the the problems from whether you're in Italy or Spain or Britain or the United States it seems like we're all facing the same problems uh, we're going through the same difficulties looking for solutions that could work in in any of these places and so it's all a bit uh all a bit samey everything is kind of bland and 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 boring I, and i think that politics is lacking that uh, that romantic element that uh, was there perhaps in in days gone by all right yes, let me there take a was look a, a political scientist in italy that uh, say that uh, today the politics uh, is uh, more and more becoming administration yeah which uh, yep. Man- managerialism uh, managerial politics yes absolutely mm-hmm. who is that who was that uh, who said that uh, i think that it was uh, marco tarchi Okay, that name I'm not familiar with. Who is uh, uh, one of the most important uh, in Italy, a friend of uh, Alain de Benoit. Okay. But uh, I, I, can send, I can send you something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I look forward to it. Very good. Okay, let me take a look at some of the comments on uh, Odyssey and DLive. We have a donation on DLive. Cockney Nutjob has donated one diamond. Thank you very much, Cockney Nutjob, for that. And on Odyssey, uh, we have a, an interesting comment here uh, from all political expressiveness is flatulence. And I can't actually read the rest of his name because it cuts off, but I read that first part. And he says, uh, excellent point. Uh, this is going back to... Um, the uh, the idea of Italian unification and the the leader, uh, he says, excellent point. German national socialism could be based on a Volk, but Italian fascism needed to be based on the state. Well, this is a very interesting topic as well. The difference between national socialism and Italian fascism, they were similar in some ways, but there was very significant differences. Uh, what are your thoughts on? on that moment in time and the similarities and the differences between German national socialism and Italian fascism? It's a very, very interesting um, question. I think that the, the most important question is that uh, <laughs> Mussolini speaks uh, about uh, create a totalitarism and uh, uh, Hitler was able to create a totalitarism. In Italy, one of the, oh, no, no, one. the biggest problem of the fascist is that uh, the power in Italy is split. And yes, uh, the fascist party was the center, but uh, there was the crowd, there was the army that uh, in Italy uh, was uh, 
uh, with a different tradition and uh, not quite uh, fascist, uh, there was the church. And uh, instead, in German, uh, of course, Hitler was able to create uh, one single power and one single center of power. And uh, I think that uh, this creates a very different uh, situation under uh, the ability to control and to modify actually the society. I think that uh, under an ideological point of view, the fascists were more rich because if you have the time to read, uh, there are a lot of uh, fascist auto authors and writers and thinkers with a lot of different point of view, which is in Germany is a little bit more difficult to find. For example, about, uh, I think that this was the most important problem for the Italy of the uh, post-fascist revolution, post, uh, revolution, the idea of... Uh, how the workers uh, have to be considered in a socialist, in a fascist part, in a fascist state. It was a very rich uh, uh, idea, a very rich, create a very rich uh, debate where you find um, uh, people who say that the state have to uh, guarantee some kind of uh, uh, property right. And uh, the most part that say the workers have to be, have, have to be every day more fascist and uh, more prepared and uh, have to be forced to improve until they will be able to control all the production without the uh, the capital or uh, there is the idea that um, every workers in Italy have to become uh, a soldier and I think that uh, in Italy even during the fascist there wasn't uh, this uh, unique power that uh, usually we are uh, used to to think but uh, it's very possible that this is one of the reasons why after the second world war all the rule uh, class in german was uh, killed arrested or uh, put out of the power and in italy instead it was not really possible because uh, there were too much current in the fascist party and so there, uh, it was not possible to eliminate, for example, all the fascists because uh, there was a famous uh, speech of the Togliatti, the leader of the uh, Communist Party, that he say, okay, but there are a lot of uh, fascists that uh, as idea that more or less are communist idea. And uh, the <laughs> churches uh, say, okay, but we can't treat them... Uh, uh, like enemy because uh, they were the best alternative and the alternative uh, <laughs> of the fascist was uh, a Bolshevik revolution anti-Christian. So we have to be mm -hmm. a little bit more. Uh, and it's very possible that uh, this is one of the motivation why uh, after the Second World War in Italy, we have uh, seen a fascist party and in Germany it was impossible. And this fascist party create a condition where, for example, is the reason why, for example, today in Italy, uh, Casa Pound has a single office in every single city in Italy. is because there was a post-fascist party for 50 years until more or less the 90s. So there was a lot of people that um, have uh, had the possibility to speak about this theme, to create a sort of 
new ruling class, a little ruling class, create a newspaper, fanzine, group, and they literally create a, a micro niche in the Italian society that uh, let them the possibility to, to exist today in a different, in a system that I think uh, maybe only in Spain we can see, but uh, not at the level that we can see in Italy. Okay, we're coming up to two hours on tonight's Ooh. stream. So the time flew by. I, I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you. Like I said, I was very excited to speak to, a, to an Italian, speak to an Italian uh, nationalist, an Italian radical. I hope it has been an interesting conversation for our listeners. Guido, to summarize, to leave your final thoughts, um, what would be your message to, in particular, uh, Anglophone radicals, Anglophone dissidents, Anglophone nationalists? What would be some of your advice? What would be some of the key, the key topics you would like to, to leave us with? I think that, uh, first of all, we have uh, a lot to learn, uh, we as Italian, to you as Anglo-Saxon, and uh, vice versa. So I think that it could be a very good idea in future to link and share more idea and experience because uh, we are uh, uh, living in a moment where it's very possible that more or less we are uh, facing the same enemy and the same problems. And uh, as a main point, I want to underline that I think that the first step is to try to understand on theoretical level, on a systemic level, what is happening and to work to create a theory of revolution, theory of what we have to do, like Lenin say. And I think that it's very possible that uh, one of the first step is uh, if uh, our enemy is able to create this sort of uh, super socialization, we have to work to create a counter socialization with a different way, with a different uh, uh, situation. But I think that it would be the very first uh, step. More metapolitics, more art, more memes, yeah. more, more everything. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. It was a big honor for me. Thanks. No, it's been an honor and a pleasure for me. Um, thank you to everyone who tuned in on the live on Odyssey. Thank you to everyone who sent in a donation, a question, and a comment. We always appreciate it. Without those, we truly cannot do this. We cannot do this without your contributions. So thank you very much, all of you who make them. Thank you as well to Reed Johnson, our tireless moderator, once again, a fantastic job making sure that the uh, links are shared and the uh, the chat rooms on both Odyssey and DLive go smoothly. It's been, like I said, an absolute honor, an absolute pleasure to talk with you, uh, Guido. I, I hope we get to uh, chat again sometime soon. Absolutely. And um, I would say to all of uh, all of you who listen tonight, um, where can they where can they find you? Uh, do you have, do you exist in the metaverse in this uh, super socialized world? Can can they see any of your work? 
Yes, at this moment, um, I am working. First of all, it is very possible that soon you'll see uh, an English version uh, of my book, Struggle in the Politica, Political Witchcraft. And I think that it could be a very good book for um, English Anglo-Saxon world. And uh, if you want to find me, you'll find uh, my YouTube channel, uh, Progetto Razzia. But if you write uh, on Google Guido.ai, uh, more or less, you can find my channel and my social media, and uh, you can write uh, here. And uh, I am very happy to answer for uh, every your question. Fantastic! Yeah, I do encourage. Uh, even if, if I, that's great news that uh, your book will be translated to English, um, it's a shame we all, as an as a fellow Italian, you know this. It's a shame that Italian isn't uh, you know a global language it's the <laughs> it's the base of so many languages um more or less but yeah we know that it's it's our little little language it's ours but outside of italy you know it's we don't find that many italian speakers so it's great that your book will be translated to english uh which is today's lingua franca um yes. and then if you do speak italian obviously uh do seek out guido uh, and his uh, his material, very insightful, very useful, very practical. I'm all about practicality as well. I like the romantic stuff, but we we need to be practical. We need to live in the world that we are fated to live in. And so uh, Mr. Taiti has really put a lot of thought and effort into giving practical guidelines to people like us. So once again, thank you for uh, chatting with me tonight. It's been a pleasure. And... Uh, Hopefully we can do this again soon. Okay, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.